Greetings, friends, and welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Sean. Website can be found at scriptureandprophecy.com. That's where you go to find the archives, and that's where you go to support this mission of truth. Today we're going to be resuming our study in the Gospel according to John. We're ready for chapter 11. Now, this chapter deals with the death and resurrection of Lazarus. Uh, Lazarus, Jesus' friend. Uh, and it also ends by dealing with the mindset of the Pharisees and the priest. And this particular chapter is going to really clear up the motives. Why the Pharisees and the priest of that day were rejecting Jesus. It wasn't because they were having some theological issues. Or because they just couldn't you know, match it up with scripture. They actually acknowledge that he's from God. But like many religious leaders around the world, people in power, that's where their heart is, is in that power and in that position. As we're going to see uh, when we get to that place. I want to thank you for listening th- this morning and, and those of you who are uh, committed listeners. It's important to Renew your mind day by day with the Word of God. So many people are Christian in name only. They show up on Sundays maybe for church. But their mind and their heart isn't set on the things of God. They're not growing. They're not... What does Peter say? He says in his his second epistle, chapter 3, 17 and 18, he says... Ye therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware lest you also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. That's the mission of the Christian is to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's, that's your goal. And then to occupy till he returns. I mean, those are the things that we should be seeking. Those are the things that should be giving us purpose. And so thank you for listening and making it a priority to learn And to grow in grace and in knowledge about the things of God. Let's have a look. And as we're reading this story about Lazarus, Lazarus, try to put yourself in the story. Try to imagine you're seeing this with your own eyes. But also Understand, because a lot of people will look at this and they overlook the fact that, yes, even though Jesus is divine, he's still fully human with human emotions and feelings. And people try to write off some of these things. The shortest verse in all the Bible is in this, is in this chapter where it says, Jesus wept. And I've heard pastors just try to explain that away. Let's put ourselves in the story. And try to relate to what's happening. Let's begin. Chapter 11, verse 1. 
Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which, appointed, which anointed the Lord with anointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And when he heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. So let's take mental note. This is Mary, the one who poured the anointing oil, poured the perfume on Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. This is Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Jesus has a close relationship with these people, close human loving friendship with these people. He loves them the way you or anybody else loves a really, really close friend. He gets word that Lazarus is sick. Martha and Mary are probably thinking he's going to rush over here, right? He's not, he's not going to delay. He's going to, as soon as he hears this, he'll be here. Jesus hears this and he decides to stay two extra days where he's at. Because he knows that there's a purpose in what's about to happen. And that he's going to have, he's going to be doing something amazing. He says, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, the son of God, so that the son of God might be glorified. Verse 7. Then after that, he saith to his disciples, Let us go into Judea again. His disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. All right, let's stop. That's an interesting phrase. It's actually very similar to another phrase that he's made that we've talked about, where Jesus says, we must work while it's daylight, because eventually night comes when no man can work. Right? It's that same concept. Let me read you just a short little summary from John Wesley about this passage. Here's what he says. Are there not 12 hours in the day? The Jews always divided the space from sunrise to sunset, where the days are longer or shorter into 12 parts, so that the hours of their day were all the year the same in number, though much shorter in the winter and summer than in the summer. If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, as if he said, So there is such a space, a determined time, which God has allotted me. During that time I stumble not amidst all the snares that are laid before me, because he seeth the light of this world, and so I see the light of God surrounding me. Jesus is saying, We got twelve hours. 
God has allowed us this time. I'm not going to worry about the fact that the Jews are wanting to stone me to death. We have a work to do. This time has been given to us. And I'm not going to stumble during this period of time that God has given me to complete this work. That's what he's getting at. We have to take advantage of the time that we've been given and the opportunities that we've been given. Let's continue on. Verse 11, These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth. But I go that I may awake him out of his sleep. Then said the disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death. But they thought that he had spoken of taking a rest and sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. To the intent you may believe, nevertheless, let us go unto him. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, Let us go also, that we may die with him. Now please note, whenever I read this from Thomas, known as Doubting Thomas, for some reason I read it as sarcasm. Maybe I'm wrong in my interpretation of that, but it seems to me like this isn't like martyrdom. This is sarcasm. When I, when that's how I've always read this. Like Thomas is saying, well, let's go and die also, right? Like, because they, the reason why is because they already made the statement, Lord, you can't go back to Judea. They're wanting to kill you. He says, I am going. Are there not 12 hours in the day? And if a man walk in a day, he stumbleth not because he seeth the light of this world. He says, our friend Lazarus is asleep. And they're like, well, if he's asleep, he'll be fine. And then he, so he has to make it very clear to him what he's saying. He says, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes, because now you're going to get to see this thing I'm about to do. And you'll believe. And then Thomas is like, well, let's go also that we may die too. That's how I read it. Uh, where was I? Verse 17. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still at the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou had been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it to thee. Let's not overlook that. Martha hears that Jesus is there. She goes out to him and says, if you had been here, right? Like we sent word to you and you didn't come. And if you had been here, my brother wouldn't be dead. But this is the faith of Martha. I know that even now that anything that you ask of God, he'll give to you. Martha believes that even in this, even now, even in this hopeless moment, her brother's been in the grave for four days. Martha believes that Jesus could still do something. Verse 23, Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. 
And Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. By the way, when's the resurrection? According to Martha? According to what she's learned from Jesus? At the last day. That's for another discussion. Verse 25. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? And she saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And when she had said so, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, The Master is come, and he calleth for thee. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. The Jews then, which were with her in the house, and comforted her, when they saw Mary, they rose up hastily and went out and followed her, saying, She goeth to the grave to weep there. Then when Mary was come, where Jesus was, and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou had been here, my brother had not died. And when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in his spirit, and he was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, Behold how he loved him. Here's the part that I, I feel like I've heard so many sermons where this just gets kind of brushed off or made to be something it's not. Like, I've heard pastors preach and say, well, he's sad because he knows that Lazarus is in the presence of God and he's going to have to bring him back to this world. No. Jesus is troubled in his spirit because he's seeing the heartbreak and the devastation within his own friends. He's seeing Mary. He's seeing Martha. They're broken. They're destroyed. Their brother has died. That's what he's weeping about. It's very clear with the context of what's going on. When they're all weeping, it says that he saw this and he's troubled in his spirit. And then he himself weeps. And even when he starts to weep, they acknowledge and say, oh, how he loved him. Speaking of Lazarus, verse 37, And some of them, could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused even this man should not have died? So see, the Jews are acknowledging, well, Jesus, he's done all these miracles. Could he have not done something about this? Right? Same thing. Everybody's saying, Jesus, if you'd been here, you could have done something, but you chose not to come here. Verse 38. Jesus, therefore, again groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. And Jesus said unto her, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou should see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, 
I think thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that, that thou heardest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I say it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about them with a napkin, and Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. But some of them went their way to the Pharisee and told them the things which Jesus had done. Okay, please note. Unfortunately, we have to take a minute and we have to sidetrack. These people just saw a man come out of the grave. Uh, they just witnessed a man who was dead be raised from the dead. There's no question about it. It, it had been four days. There's no way to... This is no trickery. It's impossible, right? Everyone who saw it knows that it happened. And in fact, some of the Jews actually believed. Here's the tragedy of the human condition. Listen to what it says. Many of the Jews which came to Mary had seen the things which Jesus did and believed on him. Well, of course, you just watched a man raise somebody from the dead. Only God could do such a thing. Verse 46, But some of them went their ways to the Pharisee and told them the things that Jesus had done. Some people's hearts are so hardened. They're so distracted and in love with the lust and the trinkets of this world that even if someone is raised from the dead, they won't believe it. Let's do a side story. Interestingly enough, it's about a beggar named Lazarus, not the Lazarus we're reading about right now. Some people try to say that this is a parable, but it's not. Jesus does not say it's a parable. He does not say the kingdom of heaven is like this and then give a short story. He's telling a story of something he knows of. So let's go to Luke chapter 16. We're going to read like 10 or 11 verses here. It's the story about the rich man and Lazarus. Because there's an important statement in here that kind of goes along with what we're talking about. So Luke 16, starting with verse 19. This is the story that Jesus tells. There was a certain rich man, which was clothed in purple and fine linen, and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. It came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, and in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame important thing to note 
this isn't really go along with the point I'm trying to make, but it does go along with just the hardness of hearts of men and the tragedy of the human condition. This man is in hell, being tormented in the flame, and he still thinks of Lazarus as his servant, as, as someone lower than him, even though he's looking up and he clearly sees Lazarus in the bosom of Abraham, and he is down in the flame. And he says, we, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to dip his finger in water and cool my tongue. But that's not the point that I wanted to point out. Next verse. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime received thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil, evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that they may testify unto them that they should also come into this place of torment. And Abraham saith unto them, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto them, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. You see, when your hearts are hard, and you already reject the word of God, and you already say in your heart there is no God, which the Bible says only a fool would do so. Or, in many cases, I don't actually be personally believe in atheism. I believe everyone knows in the depths of their soul that God exists. They just don't want to believe it. They hate the idea of God, and they love sin. Jesus is making the point with this story that even if someone is risen from the dead, like if they already aren't listening to the word of God, they're already rejecting God, no miracle they see is going to matter. Their hearts are closed. These people just saw Lazarus, someone they know, come out of the grave. What do they do? They go to the Pharisees and the priests to tattletale. Verse 47 then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we? For this man doeth many miracles. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. Here we're finally getting to the heart of all this. Why do the Pharisees keep trying to kill him? and destroy him even though he's clearly performing miracles that only God could do. They don't want to lose their position. They're saying if we let this man carry on doing these amazing, incredible miracles, people are going to believe on him, then the Romans are going to come take away our position. They're going to come take away both our place and our nation. Verse 49, And one of them named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, Ye know nothing at all, nor consider that this is expedient for us, that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation should perish not. 
this is beautiful, by the way. And the scriptures are getting ready to confirm what I'm going to tell you, but you should already, it should already be coming to mind. Caiaphas, the high priest that year, is uttering a prof- prophetic statement that he doesn't realize is a prophetic statement. They're saying, rather than this carry on and the Romans get upset and they come and take away our nation, let's kill him. We're just going to sacrifice him for the good of humanity, right? For the good of Israel. What he doesn't really realize is the utterance that he's making is a prophetic utterance. And it is true that he would die for really the whole world, but also that nation. The Bible goes on to confirm this. Verse 51, And he spake he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation, and not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in the children of God that were scattered abroad. Then from that day forth they took counsel together to put him to death, Jesus therefore walked no more openly among the Jews, but went thence into a country near to the wilderness, into a city called Ephraim, and there continued with his disciples. And the Jews' Passover was nigh at hand, and many went out of the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Please note, it seems like every time John tells a story, it's surrounding around a feast that points to Jesus. Remember, John's focus is the deity of of Christ. And he's focusing on these foreshadows, as Paul calls them. All these feasts are really about him and point to him. And Passover's coming. Verse 56, Then sought they for Jesus and spake among themselves as they stood in the temple, What think ye, that he will not come to the feast? Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a commandment that if any man knew where he were, he should show it that they might take him. That's the end of chapter 11. And it's important to note that this is the time of Passover and that they're searching for him because, as John the Baptist prophesied, this is the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the Passover lamb. And the prophetic utterance by the high priest is true. Jesus will die for that nation, but not just for that nation only, but for all the children of God scattered abroad. I hope you've been blessed this morning. Maybe you learned something, maybe you didn't. But I hope that your hearts have been pierced, your minds have been renewed by the power and the working of the Word of God, and that you're growing in grace and knowledge of your Lord and Savior. Thanks for listening. Thanks to those of you who support the uh, support the podcast, support the mission and the work that's being done here. Thank you to those of you who pray. We all need to be people of prayer right now. I mean, this has always been true. It's a commandment that we would be that way. But our world right now is descending into utter madness and chaos. And many Christians are putting their hands in this in the sand and putting cotton in their ears and pretending like these things aren't happening. 
God hears the cries of his people. We need to be on our faces before him. Be a people of prayer. Be a people that intercede and seek the mercy of God. Thanks for listening. Peace and grace be with all of you. And until next time, God bless.